this is Erin. How can I help you? Hi, Erin. Thanks for taking my call. Not a problem. What's going connect- on? Well, I wanted to connect with you. So situation happening in my, my district right now. Um, and I want to brainstorm some ideas with you to figure out how to best support the building team. Sure. So one of our buildings um, in the district has a student. Um, you know, throughout the course of this year, I'm learning to avoid discipline. They have been having conversations with parents in regards to next steps to help the child. Um, no paper trail in terms of our formal discipline. So so really, has, parents been picking them up, mom or grandma, and we have nothing whatsoever on our system. Right. Okay. So team, unfortunately, was not following the district's protocol for documenting discipline. Parent was coming to get the child when behaviors got out of control. So now this is where I need your, your advice. Sure. So because of the behaviors beginning to escalate and becoming unsafe in the, bad, the building, you know, starting to lean into the idea of does a change of placement need to occur for this, this kid? So with talking that through with the building team, you know, it's sounding like they want the child out, the student out, because of the behaviors, um, yet want the child to be placed on home instruction for a bit. Oh. Um, just for a break. And unfortunately, this is the part that I need advice about. Sure. So they've already done it. Oh. They've already placed the kid <laughs> out on home instruction, um, really didn't have a team conversation about it, and this happened a month ago. So what do you think is the best way for us to move forward from here? Well, this one's going to be a fun one, isn't it? Welcome to On the Call, Ennis Britton's special education team podcast. I am Erin Westendorf-Fortman. And I am Jeremy Neff. And we are ready to dig into this call. This is always one of my favorite phone calls. And maybe I say that every podcast. And I have a lot of favorite phone calls. We really like what we do. I'm not going to lie. Yep. It's Every day is different. And it's always, I feel like I'm a problem solver. So in this situation, it, <sighs> I feel like it's both difficult and not difficult all in the same respect. I think we are faced often in situations where we're like, hey, let's just, we can solve this problem this way. But solving of the problem in this way, right, just placing a student on home instruction for a little bit, let everything calm down, but then all of a sudden, like a month later, things were moving swimmingly in the building. Yeah, well, the student's been home for a month, right? And we probably didn't follow the appropriate process to do it, especially if the student is identified through IDEA. And so I think while we can solve problems in in maybe rule-bending fashions, doing so in this capacity I think is more rule-breaking than rule-bending. Yeah, it, it really plays on there's some trends or characteristics, and I, I say this coming from a long, long line of educators and having been one myself in a prior life, um, Educators are nurturing people, educators are practical people, and uh, educators do not generally like conflict, except for my colleagues at the secondary level. Uh, So what you're meaning to say is that educators love people, which is contrary to what we do. (laughs) Right. Yeah, there's a reason that I'm I'm now a lawyer and no longer in the classroom. Uh, But I I think all those things come together, and part of what 
it's it's not funny exactly, but it's interesting to us, is that we're supporting people who can get into trouble by trying to do the right thing. And those are the scenarios where, gosh, it's one thing to, to deal with just like uh, malice. But it's another thing when somebody like this scenario, the caller, hey, look, we were helping out. We put stuff in place right away. It was going to make things work. It actually can lead to trouble. And I think it can lead to trouble because there are processes put in place when we need to change placement for a student who has identified based on their behaviors, especially when we can so clearly point to the fact that their behaviors are a result of their disabilities. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And we have lots of black letter law in this. Anytime we get a call, we want to say, well, what does the law specifically require of us? And here, what we're really talking about is placement. When we talk about discipline and potentially removing a child from services, that is a pretty serious change of placement. And there are processes that have to be in place before you do that. Now, the good news is it's not as complicated as if for educational reasons we wanted to change a child's placement. We have a process specifically for discipline, and it's the Manifestation Determination Review. And we go very in-depth in a different episode on what that looks like. But the very quick version is we're looking at what is the connection between the child, if, if there is one, what is the connection between the child's disability and the behavior? And is it substantial enough, direct enough of a connection that disciplining the child would in effect be punishing them for having a disability. That's really what this comes down to at its basics. No, I think that's absolutely right, especially when we look at you have to hold that MDR, right, on or before day 10 of that change in placement, right, of the decision to have a change in placement, we're holding that MDR meeting. And so in the situation that the phone call came in with, you know, we made a decision in this in this aspect, well-meaning, good-intentioned decision to change placement for a student because of their disability, we didn't go through the MDR process. And I think it, part of that we can at least learn from other cases. And so I always feel like a nerd when I go, let's learn from other people. But I do think it's important. So Ozark is in what state? Challenge accepted. Either Arkansas or Missouri, maybe? Uh, well, I'm going to go with AL, which I would imagine means Alabama. Oh, Alabama. Right? I know. I didn't know they were Alabama Ozarks. Uh, well, and you're going to Google it and be like, Aaron, you were lying. Uh, which, okay, sure, maybe I was. But this is the case where they called it the switcheroo case. And I always love cases that have a little hook for them, right? Because it, it just makes it more memorable in my mind. And so what happened in this situation is that the district wanted to sort of avoid the MDR requirement. They just, they were doing what I believe, right, was the nice and kind thing for educators. Now, we don't have the full background and the full facts of it. We just have what came out from the IHO. But what the IHO said with this is that, listen, an IEP team recharacterized a long-term suspension as an indefinite homebound placement because they didn't want to do an MDR. You can't do that and bypass your obligations under IDEA. But I loved it because the IHO said in this, quote, this is a switcheroo. And I just love that, that he he or she was so just very blunt to say, listen, you were trying to get fancy, and that did not work. You can't bypass your federal requirements to avoid what you're doing for a student, right, just by saying, hey, let's just do homebound. You know, because even in this case, maybe the parents agreed for a while, right? For a little while, a parent is out, most parents are going to say, sure, anything for the interim, maybe it was it was couched as let us get some things in place. Don't, don't you think, Aaron, in, in this case, uh, that 
there may be more facts here where the hearing officer was able to look at this and say the parents were intimidated, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Because parents come into these discipline situations, they're scared, right? And they may even be embarrassed by whatever it was their child did. And uh, if they're not used to sitting in a room full of professionals, that's scary for them. And I think that judges and hearing officers are, are quick to sense that and to remedy it. Uh, and, and that can be maybe the factor that doesn't show up in the record, but was very apparent. You know, imagine the parent sitting there crying on the stand while giving their testimony. And then you've got the cold, calculating, institutional witnesses coming from the school district, right? We're never sympathetic, are I'm we? I'm sorry, are you a plaintiff's attorney now? Or is this what's <laughs> happening? Because uh, stop. I'm strategic. <laughs> I, I know what we look like. And we are never the sympathetic party. Well, no. And, and I think the way that you become the sympathetic party or at least don't look like the cold calculating school district that you were just trying to pull a fast one on the parents switcheroo if you yeah. will <laughs> fast one sounds much more intimidating than a good old switcheroo um, <laughs> but at least I think in those moments if you don't want to appear cold and calculating having the documented discussion of how we talked through this with a parent, what we were willing to do, what their input was, what their questions were, coming at it more from that team collaborative approach, I think is a good idea. What was more concerning to me in this case was, I think where the IHO is like, you can't skip these processes. Well, sometimes I think it benefits us. Mm -hmm. And I think it benefits us, meaning schools and parents, the mm -hmm. team, because you might get to the table and say, hey, we know where we are. Let's let's put on our nice educator hat. We know where we are. We know where your student is. We know we none of us want to be here, right? We can go through this process and talk through it with them, uh, document all of that in a prior written, right? But then also talk through what that other option looks like, right? But that other option, this whole indefinite homebound instruction, uh, I think is a failure every time. Yeah, absolutely. And that idea of making sure the parents know where they are in the process uh, is so key. And I think it's more than just handing them the procedural safeguards. I think it is explicitly discussing, here we are, we may disagree. Here's the process before us, this manifestation. And in that, we may disagree about whether it's a manifestation of your child's disability. But one thing we all agree on is when your child is tearing that room apart, word it better than that. But when your child is tearing that room apart, he's not learning. And so can we, can we, instead of focusing on the discipline, can we step back and talk about the education? You have a right. We can always come back and do this discipline approach. But can we talk about education? And that maybe is what is the difference between being this district in the Ozarks of Alabama, who knew, um, being this district <laughs> versus being a district that's really successfully moving forward and serving that child. No, and I think that that plays also to, as you said, that educator hat, right? We want to problem solve, but making sure in those cases, and again, we, we weren't at this table, in those cases to say, how are we so effectively communicating that? And I think the way you said that before was, was really on point. And I do think the longer a student is on home instruction, I can't emphasize that enough, the more a parent is going to become irritated and angry. And if we are talking about um, the student, and I, and I don't mean to pick on that student who's tearing up classrooms, clearly that student has some almost screaming at you needs. Like we, we have a need here that needs fulfilled. The longer that student is home, the more is happening to that student's 
home, the more that that parent is not working if they're working, the more that that parent is frustrated or tired. I mean, my kids are fairly typical children and they come home for a long weekend. I'm like, go back to school. I'm done. I think for the holiday break, they were home two days and I was ready for them to go back to school. But that's true fact. (laughs) True fact. I can only hear mom, 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 mom so many times before I go crazy. And well, that's just me. So if they had more needs and we were maybe destructive or physically aggressive, it's going to wane on parents for a longer period of time. And so what can be first seen is maybe an agreeable situation that was fine the first day, 17 days later might be something completely different. And, and we got to be careful about relying on the parents telling us that it's no longer agreeable because the way they may tell you is you receive a complaint. Correct. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, on that winter break and you send the kids down to the basement to play. If it gets too quiet, you should be concerned, not happy. So same story with parents. Sometimes we have to be cautious that silence is not necessarily acceptance. Well, yes, that's true as well. So when looking at this whole process, right, we have, you know, the well-intentioned educator wanting to do, you know, changes, placement changes for behavior in whether or not parents are on board or not. What would you then say, you know, broad level, top practical tips on this? Where are we at? Yeah, I really do think it fundamentally comes down to the parents understanding why we're doing this. And if we're talking about a true change of placement, that requires parental consent, which requires it be informed. So I do think we need to pause. Don't let anyone jump too quickly to, let's talk about a change of placement. Our lawyers told us, because maybe your lawyers have told you that that's a way to address this, but there's a way to get there. So making sure it's informed, making sure the parent input and, and true agreement and understanding happens. We get signed consent for that change of placement and we document that discussion, including the idea that we could move forward in the discipline approach. Documenting discussion means we have prior written notices. I, I do think having those prior written notices of giving that parent input, how you have informed them of you know what this placement would look like. And it's not to say, I mean, I've, I've downplayed home instruction and I don't mean to downplay home instruction. I think in a, in a post-COVID closure world, I don't know that we're really post-COVID, but the post-COVID closure world, how we serve kids when they're not within a physical school building has drastically changed. And I think it's opened up a lot of really great opportunities. But I do think sometimes we need to have a temporary home instruction plan while we look for an outplacement, right? I mean, it could be that that is what is agreed to when looking at this full process. Placements are not just begging for students right now, at least down here in Southwest Ohio. Trying to find any placement for a kiddo is incredibly difficult. No spots are open. So there might be interim plans, but building in and setting meetings of check-ins every three weeks, two weeks, whatever it would be, how are we doing, mom and dad, grandma, aunt, uncle, foster parent, whatever it may be. How is the student doing? How is the student progressing? Teachers, how are we doing? Related service providers. I think that helps to show should a parent become upset that we haven't just said it and forgotten it well and along those lines not just how's the child doing in this whatever we're calling that temporary place but what are we doing to make sure we're working toward that better more appropriate place Mm -hmm. because keep in mind if you're on the stand and you're asked to defend do you really believe it's this child's least restrictive environment to be sitting at home alone in front of a screen 
that's a pretty unusual kid. So that 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 may not be a placement change that we've consented to and put in the IEP. That may be what you were describing as kind of an interim plan or something that's in place while we work toward that thing that we really do think is LRE and can provide FAPE. Correct. No, I think that that's those are ones where I say, hey, we're not the end goal is not home instruction, right? It will be the rarest of rare cases that that is true, right? And so when we have those moments where we're trying to think outside of the box to say, we need to get the kid out of here because otherwise we, we just need to appropriately serve the student. They are not being appropriately served by the behaviors that are happening in school. We need a timeout. We can't avoid MDR by having that timeout. And so do we go through the MDR? Do we have that conversation to sit down temporarily look at some options for that full end goal I really think is is sort of the bigger picture for what that looks like for these moments like with the phone call earlier and for purposes of our podcast is kind of a final practical thought on my end uh, if you're getting creative thinking outside of the box that's a really good time to sound self-serving call your lawyer uh, because you wouldn't want to say, hey, well, this podcast said something about maybe some sort of interim thing we could do. Look, you're not going to find that in the regulations. It's not there. So this is something where you've really worked through everything and you've developed a legal strategy for compliance or the best thing you can do, the most defensible thing you can do in the process. That's it for this episode. Thank you for joining us. A quick note, this podcast is intended to be used for general information only and is not legal advice. If you have a specific question, please consult an attorney. Be sure to check out other episodes at ennisbritton.com or wherever you find your podcasts. If you have a topic you would like to suggest, a question about today's episode, or anything else you'd like to share, please email us at podcast at ennisbritton.com. Whether by phone or this podcast, we look forward to being on the call with you again soon.